someone was playing like the music really loud and it was rap music, so it was cursing and whatnot. And somehow I managed to get all the blame for it. And I think I just kind of kicked off so much so that became the basis for like a rap that I ended up writing. But I, I can't repeat the words. Not either, so, you know. Right, hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the podcast chats. Got a very special guest today, Scott Reynolds. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good to be here, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. I think you were nominated by Michael, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. So I always get the, the short straw with things like this and Michael. But I think there was a little bit of a reason behind it. I've recently been appointed sales director for the company. So I thought, well, you've got a bit more responsibility now, so get yourself on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I seen your post today, wasn't it? And that was a good post, wasn't it? On, on yeah, LinkedIn. no, thank you. I kind of had that one sat for a little while because we hadn't kind of made it common knowledge. And yeah, I mean, it was it was true what I wrote. I've had a bit of, not checkered history, but I've not really stuck at many things. If I don't think it's the right fit, I'm willing to just go, right, nah, this isn't right, and, and move on and kind of been rewarded for sticking with with this through the, the good times and the bad and yeah no i'm, I'm really happy with the with the uh, promotion nice that's right if you're meeting someone for the first time so anyone that's watching or listening that doesn't know who you are how would you introduce yourself for the first time um, i didn't prep you for this but you're on the spot I'm <laughs> you're off, fine. um so i just oh, is this part of it <laughs> so like so if yeah. somebody's watching or listening yeah, and they so think oh scott reynolds who is this guy how would you introduce yourself yeah, so I'd, I'd generally just sort of introduce me by my name and my job title and things. So, hi, my name's Scott Reynolds. I am the sales director for Leash Your New Car in Carlisle. Nice. And then the three facts. So I messaged you last night, didn't I? And you yeah, said... Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kindly reminded me at 10 o'clock last night about this. Three facts. You said you struggled with one of these as well, didn't you? Yeah, I think one of them's just so it's a bit of a pointless fact, really. But so anyone who knows me knows that the one thing that gets brought up the most and that I get the mick taken out of me for the most is this record deal that I had. I'm trying to think how old I'll have been. I must have been about 16-ish, somewhere around there. Definitely didn't drive. So yeah, 16, say. And a record label launched in Carlisle. Um, they were trying to relaunch a gentleman that I've become friends with, Stephen Dunn. Um, relaunching his career. He was in a band called the Daisy Chain Connection many years before. And quite random how it all kind of came about. I'd done Panto the year before that, um, bit of a thespian. And, um, part of the Panto had a, a section that was filmed in it. Mm. And the person they'd used to direct that was also the person who ended up getting employed to film this music video. So when they asked, do you know any young lads that could be in the music video? He said, yeah, I know someone who's perfect. I went along, ended up in this music video. Both my sisters are really, really good singers, far better than I've ever been. And the record level knew when they started asking me questions about my sisters. And I just said, well, it must run in the family. I can hold a tune. And next day I was in the old JJB, you know, when it had the basketball court. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I got a phone call. It was the, the owner of the record label. And he just was like, you know, you said you can sing. Do you want to come down and sing? So I went down, sang. Took like a few, I think Craig David CDs, some other stuff that I'd like wrote my own sort of raps and that over. Oh really? That's yeah, cool. yeah. I'm not doing any of them for you. <laughs> and, and yeah, kind of one thing led to another. We did this record deal, but in reality, all that ended up being was some free clothes for a photo shoot, 
I went down to, I forget what it's called now, Par Street Studios down in Liverpool. That's where like Coldplay had just done X and Y there, I think, and or whatever album it was, Paolo Natini's recorded there. So it was a pretty cool experience. Then we had like a launch night, so I got a free bar at that because I was like VIP. Even the U16. And it went in the newspaper, <laughs> but that like literally once all that happened, that was just it. That was the end of my record deal. So whether or not they saw the light or not. Lies eventually my balls are going to drop, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, that was the end of that. Is there any clips or videos in front of you? One of my cousins constantly sends me the newspaper cutting. The headline was, he's got a smile like Bex and an attitude like Robbie Williams. <laughs> Couldn't this be Carlisle's next pop sensation? Yeah, so he, he, he has that still, like he's still got it pinned on his wall or something. Mm. He ratches it out all the time. But yeah, that's a lot of the extent of that. That's quite cool though, isn't it? <laughs> if you say so. Hey, it's a good story to tell if you ever go on a random podcast and you have to pick, think of three facts for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> You'll just look a bit crap, but I, I know that because when we did videos, we, that was one of the videos, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of you saying that'll surprise me, but I'm thinking, well, I already know this one, but I suppose not. Yeah, that was funny. Right, the second one then. How are you going to top that? It's quite, quite random, but not that many people or a lot of people don't realise that I'm mixed race. <laughs> a lot of people just think I like I absolutely smash the sunbeds. And don't get me wrong, I'm partial to a sunbed, but even if I didn't have one, I, I wouldn't be white. So, like, on my mum's side, it's predominantly white. So, like, English, Irish, and Italian. And on my dad's side, that's where the colour comes in. So there's uh, predominantly Indian on that side. And going back a few generations ago, on the Indian side of my family, I've actually got a gold medal in the Olympic Games. So, so yeah. That's the that's, thing. That, it's an Indian one, is it? Yeah, so that was for field hockey in the Olympic Games. Can't remember what like generation of being a relative he is, but mm. yeah, oh, that's cool actually. Mm, not many then, people will be able to say that. Yeah, yeah. So then, where does the Reynolds name come in then? So yeah, we think I'm pretty sure that it stems from like because we've got some Australian in us as well. Mm. And what kind of happened was when people after various wars and stuff decided to settle in India and countries like that, they'd have met like so an Australian man's met an Indian wife. They've had children and they would be called Anglo Indians. So they're like mixed race Indians. Okay. And that's where, cause the wife would have took the Australian okay. name. That's where the Reynolds would have. Uh, makes sense. All right. Cool. And then the third one. This is just weird, but I was really struggling for <laughs> ideas. There was a few that I thought of and then I just kept deleting them as I was like typing them out. So like, strangely enough, I've got like sort of, I remember my long term memory is full of absolutely useless things like, Lewis to songs from like the nineties or hymns from primary school for like, tell me to do something in five minutes time. And there's a very good chance that I'm going to forget to do it. But that in its own right has served us quite well. Cause generally speaking, if I read something over and over again, or if I watch something or listen to something over and over again, I like can recall it almost word for word. Yeah. So like in exams, for example, if we were prepping for certain exam questions, we knew were likely to come up, I would, literally prep like a two, three, four page answer to that question and read it a few times and bullet point it. Then using the bullet points alone, I'd be able to rattle off pretty much word for word exactly what I'd written out first time yeah. round. But yeah, it's just a bit weird really. Mm. But, but Is that yeah, like a photographic not, memory? Not quite photographic. Yeah. That's kind of snapshot-y, but, but yeah, like basically repetition is like important for me to learn stuff. So if I do that, I'll end up sinking into my long-term memory and use up all this space that I could be probably better off thinking about mm. what course I need to do for the next few days. That's quite handy though. Yeah, it, it, it was good. I went back to college a few years ago. We did like an access to higher education course and they pretty much said it was from a like psychology exam. 
Mm. They pretty much said like, it's only going to be like one of these, I think that was like three or four questions that are going to be like your main one in this main exam. So they said, so essentially if you could prep good answers for each, when one comes up, you, but it will be one of these or it's very unlikely yeah. it will be. So I did. And then literally once I took the exam question over, seeing which question it was, did my bullet points mm-hmm. and yeah, and I'd say if I'd say that was a thousand words, I'd be surprised if more than say twenty of them were different to what I originally wrote down away from that bit of paper. But so yeah, it's it's just how I learn stuff. That's a bit weird, but it's quite cool as well at the same time. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go back to a little Scott. First memories growing up, what were you like? Um so first memories, trying to think. I know that I wasn't a very good swimmer, <laughs> but not learning to swim until that was later on. I remember I, I really like always got into football, but I didn't even really play football that early, sort of not never for a team anyway. Kind of that, that came sort of the very back end of primary school into secondary school. Did I play it more? Like I obviously played at the park and in people's gardens and stuff, but never for a team. I remember my dad watching. Tottenham play, it, it was a 91 FA Cup, so I'll have been nearly six. And I remember sort of saying, no, oh, what's this? And he's like, that's your team, son. Because <laughs> he's cockney. Oh, wait, interrupting. What do you think about Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich? Well, he's not gone yet. <laughs> uh, he has to agree terms. I don't know. I, I, I can see it happening, but I could also just see like a mad curveball. Yeah, didn't he say something like he doesn't want to go after the season starts something? So that's kind of why it's all been pushed through now, because obviously this when our first game's not till the weekend. But ultimately the ball's back in his court. I'd be gutted to see him go and he, he's irreplaceable and it's not my money. So if it was up to me, I'd say, nah, knock the money back and let him go for free on the off chance he stays and signs a new deal. Mm. But no, I'd say obviously I'd love him to stay, but yeah. we'll just have to see what happens. Mm, be interesting. By the time this podcast is out, well, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Right. With predictions, reckon he's going to go or stay? Uh, heart says stay, head says go. <laughs> right, so then your dad said Spurs are your team then. Yeah, so that was that. So I kind of remember that early doors of me ending up knowing that I needed to support Spurs. I didn't get a choice in it. Mm. Unlike the dilemma I'm going through at the minute with my youngest boy, he's getting fought for Tottenham and Newcastle because the in-laws are all massive Newcastle fans and the missus to be fair. But yeah, so you, but you won't, you won't get a choice in it. You'll, you'll be getting bought Tottenham stuff. <laughs> you'll be growing up for Tottenham. It's be difficult at the moment, isn't it? Because if like Newcastle do well in the Champions League, I yeah, will it just end up being like what most of the Man City fans and that are like now, isn't it? Or even going further back, Man United fans and Chelsea fans were where if he was just all about that, then fair enough. But the one thing I keep getting thrown at is, is oh, Newcastle's only an hour away, so you'd be able to get more oh. than that. You can go a long game of season at Newcastle and that's Tottenham away. <laughs> so yeah, so starting to spot Tottenham. So how old were you then? I think, yeah, six-ish. I remember getting kits early on, like sort of Holstony ones. And I think this was before they stopped like children having kits with alcohol or betting and stuff on. So mm. I remember having those kits growing up. And yeah, what I was a child. I remember being like quite clever at school. Mm. And I think I did school going kind of jumping forward. I think I did school a bit backwards. Like I was really swatty almost through primary school, year seven, year eight, year nine. And then when it really mattered to be swatty, I, I wasn't swatty. Like, come year 10 and 11, it was more like, yeah, just football girls. Yeah. The parties and whatnot. <laughs> That's what it's like, though, isn't it? When you're like 14, 15, 16, you get yeah, exposed to yeah, like girls and like it's house parties and that a bit thing. different come that age. Mm. But going back, this was actually nearly one of my facts 
like in year six, I had to redo my set and I had to sit year nine ones. Really? Because I'd scored too highly in my year six sets that they worried, well, not worried, but they thought, how would he have done if, how would he have done if he'd sat the year nine ones? Really? Now, so. How did you so the year nine I ended up getting offered a scholarship to go to Fronius. They were like, mm. oh, well, he doesn't need to pay tuition fees and that. And wanted me. And I remember my dad saying to us, I just want you to go to school there. And I said, do they play football? Oh, and they didn't play football. So I was like, nah, I, I went to Austin Prize year seven to 11, right? The only time my parents got called into the school was in year 11 when you could play football. And I was like, I want to play football. They're like, no, you have to play rugby. rugby. And they called my parents and they were like, just wants to play football in PE. And they're like, no, he has to I, play rugby. I mean, I, just, I, I played rugby in PE in that secondary school, but it would never be, yeah, never be a sport that I was particularly great at or that I wanted to pursue. So. Dad says the only thing I learned from Austin Prize was how to play rugby. Apart from that, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, loads of kids went to, like, when you were in primary and then you go all your different ways. Mm. I think most of them ended up more off the rails than half of us going to like a normal, normal secondary school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, yeah. so what do you reckon your, your parents would have said about you then growing up? If, if asked them, what do you think they would say? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, no, I think that overall I was, I think I'll have been a good boy that everyone kind of like, well, like, like nice mannerisms about me, caring mm. and whatnot. And then I think that. The later I got in life and the more I started playing football in the house and smashing windows and throwing action men out windows on bungee cords, I end up smashing back through other windows. Yeah, then they'd have probably thought, Jesus Christ, what's, what's going on again? <laughs> but no, overall, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I hope. What, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Did you want to be a footballer like everybody else? Yeah, I think that's always the thing in that, like all young lads that are kind of semi-decent at football think, oh no, I want to be a footballer. But the, the curveball ambition that I would never have had the ability to pursue was law. Really? Yeah, I think once I realised that I could like kind of talk my way almost out of stuff and like in maybe arguments or confrontation and stuff, I was quite good at arguing basically. And I thought, <laughs> it'd be great to be a lawyer and essentially get paid to <laughs> represent a case, like essentially your argument for something mm-hmm. like why that's right or wrong. And, but yeah, and, and academically, Without blowing my own trumpet, if I'd probably really, really been focused on that, it, it, it probably would have been semi-viable. But, but no, I know the, the amount of effort you put in and going to uni and whatnot, by the time it would have been a decision I needed to make, so I was like way off that. Yeah, it's hard graft, isn't it? Just do like seven years, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like five or five minimum, maybe more. But no, I've got some mates that have pursued it in various capacities. And yeah, obviously doing really well for themselves and means mm-hmm. me. KSU sales director. Yeah. So then, did you leave school at 16 or 18 or what was the plan when you were like leaving? Ah, so I went to, I went to sixth form, but I only did, I think I did like a couple of months into year, what was it, year 13? Like I only, so I basically completed year 12. Like AS this level. This when like, yeah, yeah, that had just kicked in. I think it was like yeah, okay. an AS level that was kind of like half an A level, then you did yeah. on. And then I ended up getting kicked out of sixth form. I can't even remember what happened, you know. Mm. I just used to get, I was getting into trouble for just random things. Like they give you that flexibility of not going to lessons and stuff. So I think I maybe took the mick a bit with that. I remember one day some people were just playing. Like, our common room wasn't out the way. It was kind of like a section of the main dining hall. Okay. So, like people like would be coming and going or like being there for lunch while you, while the older lot were yeah. in the pool or whatever they were doing. And I think we had like a boom box, like a small CD player. Yeah. 
someone was playing like the music really loud and it was rap music so it was cursing and whatnot and somehow I managed to get all the blame for it and I think I just kind of kicked off so much so that became the basis for like a rap that I ended up writing but I, I can't repeat the words that <laughs> either, so <laughs> so you got kicked out then you wrote a rap yeah about everything that had gone on yeah. did you release that on that YouTube then no 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 uh, pop, uh, yeah I'd love to buy my old notebooks and that with all this stuff yeah. in. but yeah and there was a couple of teachers' names getting mentioned in there and what mm. happened in school and it was to the tune of Nelly Ride With Me. <laughs> yeah. I could actually, madly enough, I could probably rattle the majority of stuff <laughs> off right now. So You're going to give us any? Re-emphasize. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's I think it's hard though, isn't it? Like when you say like 16, 17, 18, to know what you want to do, isn't it? Yeah, so you go on all on like kind of career things, courses and whatnot. And like, but then you get put on work experience and it's kind of like, strangely enough, like I, I sort of found sales in a roundabout way. It was well, a lot of people could sell some people and maybe better it than others, but it isn't like really a profession. It's not something you train for. So I was even going back sort of 10, 15 years ago, if someone had said to me, like, what do you want to be? I'd just still been like, I don't know. And mm. that's, that's as like a sort of 25 plus yeah. person, never mind at sort of 14, 15. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think that we do, I do think we do things almost backwards. And I know that we have to do it that way because in later life, you wouldn't have the energy and that to work quite as much. But this whole like trying to retire at 70 or 80, probably by the time we do to then have 10 years to spend your money. And I'm like, well, I'd rather have had that money when I was 20 or 30 and enjoy yeah. it and be able to see the world and do stuff and that. But I get. That's, yeah, that's just the way it goes. And I think that the country would probably be in even worse shape if you just let 20 year olds do everything that they wanted to do. Yeah. I think, I think that's hard, isn't it? Like, especially if people have like kids in their twenties, then it does like kind of limit what they can do, isn't it? Yeah, no, 100%. I had printed what Sophia's 10, 9 now. That was 2014. So obviously I wasn't like a young, I wasn't a young dad as such 29, maybe somewhere around there. Dude. Um, 29, 30. So I wasn't particularly young, but, but yeah, a lot of people do. And it's like, that's, yeah, I pretty pixel I put on it. So what, what was your first job then? My first job, other than a paper round, I worked on papers for years and years. I had a really hard paper round. So, so my dad gave me a lift on it. It's like I actually, my dad used to get up every morning and drive me on my paper round. And when I say it was hard, it was maybe about a mile long, and it was in stacks. It was, wouldn't have been hard at all. We had a little pug, a black pug called Peter at the time, and Peter knew the route. So Peter would come in the car and he'd get out of the car every time we were going, like like moving ten houses down the road and doing a few papers. Mm. He'd get out and he'd run to the driveway and door of like the next house mm. he delivered to. So, and yeah, my dad used to drag me out of bed for that. And I think, did you, I mean, you got paid like about maybe a ten or a week or whatever. Mm. Big book like then. But to be fair. Then I did actually start even as little as money as that was. It was that money that helped me save for like my first car as I was learning to drive. And so I got a good understanding of money and saving pretty early doors. But my first job, more full time sort of job was at JD Sports. I was on three pound and a penny an hour as mm-hmm. a, I must have been about 16, 16 year olds, three pound and a penny an hour. And then original shoe company poached me for a pay rise. A 49 pence an hour. So I went up to £3.50 and I thought, yes. <laughs> I get paid like another £4 a day. Like, this is it. How did they poach you then? How, how does that come about? Is that like friends and my cousin worked there? And 
I knew that the wage was a little bit more and mm. it's that. And, and to be fair as well, I mean, I like, I still like to be still wearing sports clothes and I still like shopping in GD to be fair. But it was also at that stage where I'm starting to go out of town and stuff. So it was ideal because then I was getting discount on like designer clothes, uh, and track suits and stuff. So, so my trainer collection was already peak. <laughs> so like, uh, and then, yeah, starting to wear your, like your labels and your rock ports and discount on them was handy to be fair. Yeah. Cause, so how, how old were you then then? You read like 16? Yeah, like, yeah, 16, 17. So going out probably illegally. And I was so faced as well then that I have had a hard 18, 19 year, like it's caught up on me. But yeah, I, I shouldn't have ever been able to get into the clubs, but like everyone, you just do somehow. Yeah, even when I first started going out, like say when I was 17, maybe went out a few times yeah. and you could get away with it. But like these days you couldn't. Yeah, no, I don't think, I think it's, I think it's more strict, basically, unless you're a girl. Yeah. It's still definitely, last season. Yeah. So then, what was your first, like, full-time job, do you reckon? Like, proper job. Proper job. Um, Not not that JD or whatever isn't a proper job, but. So my first, yeah, well, actually, I was, I was either 17, I think I was a month off turning 18 when I got what, as far as brands and, Whatnot is concerned, my first big job, and that was a trainee sales exec at Mercedes-Benz. Okay. So okay. yeah, so I got, I got that job. Another one that's crazy when I think back, so I was kind of, it's trainee and the fact that I was younger than where, like, the cut-off was to pay you properly, and I don't know if it was butted up as an apprenticeship or what, but as a trainee there, I was on six grand a year, and I worked 12 days on two off. So I would work basically Monday through Sunday, through the following Friday without any days off and then I'd have a weekend off. What? Two days off every other week? So, and I was sick on the peanuts and because I was only a trainee, it was kind of like that whole, you do as much as you can, but really you were there to learn how to do it. But then, like, you kind of help the, the senior sales execs when they're busy and so you speak to their customers, but then ultimately they are still their customers, so you hand them back over. Sure. So I didn't sell, I sold a few cars, like sort of as I was getting months and months down the line, my confidence grew and whatnot. So I did, I sold a few cars eventually. But how, how did that job go about to start off with them? Just like, did just you just get advertised? I can't remember. Um, did you be just like sick of working in shoot or whatever or? Yeah, I think it was more like, that was probably the first time in my life where I started thinking, cause again, if you think that as much as you're in retail in like a shop, mm. that's probably when you first realize that you, capable of selling. Yeah. I know a lot of people, because you go back then, I was on commission, for example, at Original Shoe. Mm. You had sales targets at JD Sports. Like, you know when, really? you know when, you know when you're in somewhere like JD and then the cook, that's the member of staff goes, oh, do you want me to put that behind the sales again? Yeah. They're not actually doing that to aid you. They're doing that because then it goes against their name when it gets put through the till. Uh, they'll have a target to sell. So the lads who were on the trainers, the target will be miles higher because they know that like, it only takes 10 pairs of, hundred pound trainers get sold in the whole day on a Saturday and you've done your grand or whatever it might be. Yeah. So then it was original shoe and that was when, again, you're on commission to sell, but also to sell store cards. So you start getting an understanding that like, I'm capable of selling here. So then mm-hmm. when this job came up and I kind of looked at it as in the short term, right, I'm going to take a hit on the amount of income I'm getting. But bear in mind, I was going from 350 an hour, so it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. But then you know in the long run that some of them lads in there, and this is going back, what's that, 2000-ish? Mm. No? Can't be that early. Can't be that early. 2005, 
age of an alpha, yeah, it's twenty-one, right? So yeah, two thousand two, maybe something yeah. around there. You know, you know that the sales execs that drive them big flash cars, you know that they're doing well for themselves. And mm. I just thought, well, yeah, fair enough. I'm a trainee now, but soon I won't be, and in the long run, that'll be a good job. And then to mm. be fair, going back to Mercedes, I learned off the late Stuart Payton. He was kind of my mentor there, and I learned so much about what what good customer service looked like that. I actually think I'll, I, I think I've got this written or I used to have it written on my cover letter on my CV that it stood me in good stead for like anything that I've ever had to do in the future. Cause mm-hmm. you, you, you learn that it wasn't just a guy in the suit that was coming in to buy the hundred grand Merc, like the farmers that stunk a crap, like mm-hmm. they were just as likely to buy it or the footballers that you've never heard of before that are just in kind of like shorts, a white t-shirt, a pair of sliders, like, they, yeah. and you just had to not judge books by the cover and like just learn to kind of treat everyone the same almost. And yeah, and I've took that with me right throughout life. I know somebody said to me, I can't remember who it was, but something about selling cars. Like if you just fix it, say if it's like a couple and if you just fixate on say the, the man or whatever, you think he's going to yeah. buy it. Don't forget like the wife because the yeah, wife yeah. No, could be, could potentially be the one who's like buy for. the car for yeah, or, yeah, or no. making the decision and, and that kind of. Sometimes couples will dictate that to you, the way they're talking, who's leading the conversation and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And to be honest, sometimes as well, when you've got one decision maker, if you can convince one of them, you'll convince the other one anyway. So mm. you might be getting grilled off one and you just go, oh, but it'd be great for woman talking. It'll be great for your golf clubs or so, won't it? Like, yeah. you know, and, and flip side, it's, oh, that'll be lovely. So I don't want to sound sexist, but like, you know, kind of, why do you know who's shopping bags? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and, and actually going back to Merck, it was something I learned there as well that the brand, if you work for a, a semi-decent brand, and no matter what brand it is, there'll be a, like a set certain client that'll fall into that bracket. And that's the top end of their budget. So yeah. for one person, that might be Vauxhall, but for another person, it might be Ferrari. Like, you know, that, that's, that's their top end. And it was also learning that like, it's important to remember that it's Denise's dance is coming up, not that they're buying the car, it's like, oh, how's, how's Dodd, how's she, and oh, how's she out of hospital? Yeah, you know, like, it's that sort of thing, that, like, kind of that personal touch, because these people want to buy the car, and the only thing you can do is stop them, like, because you weren't good enough. Yeah. Because they can get that Merc from anywhere in the country, you know, they don't have to get it from you. Although they can walk out and come a different day and speak to another sales exec, so mm-hmm. as long as you do the job properly and you're polite and sort of take what they're saying on board and listen, like, Half the battle's just showing up, which I'm probably not that, that good at. But if you do, you just stop and listen and, and let them speak and you'll learn things that are important. Mm. So did your mentor teach you that then? Or Yeah, very else? much so. Stu, the Paytons had, it was, it was always Paytons of Carlisle, Mercedes. And then Mercedes pretty much got took over all around the country. There weren't, there wasn't any like privately owned Mercedes anymore. So they mm. became Mercedes Benz of Carlisle. It was still their building. They owned it. So they were kind of renting it too. And he was like part of the furniture there. Amazing, amazing, great guy. And yeah, it was, it was, it was good to work with him and good to learn from him. And he had a very unique style, always in his big flashy suits with like big giant lapels. He kind of looked dressed a bit like Cantoni Montana, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he was one of them. So not, not necessarily my style dress sense wise, mm-hmm. but he pulled it off and it's why everyone associated. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he was funny. I mean, I remember one day I was in the showroom and he'd just be walking about smoking. This was smoking hadn't been banned inside yet, but you definitely wouldn't have expected it in a showroom like a car yeah. show. 
people would say stuff to me. Like, I own the building. <laughs> but one day I was showing this lady, an older lady, like back seats of a C class. And she, I think she came in in like an SLK. It's like a two seat convertible at the time. And I had the door open and she was like leaning into it. And he goes, plenty of room in those back doors, love. <laughs> she just like, Oh, yes, Stuart, yes. Very <laughs> spacious. And I'm there. He's like, cool on us. Yeah, no, some good, good times there, good times. And because then, still about the sales, then I'd imagine it's like you have to find your own unique style, isn't it? I'd imagine like you can be taught so much, but like you yeah, find so probably if I'd probably like jump forward there to sort of explain yeah. that a bit. So good salespeople will sell, they'll, they'll, they'll they could sell any product in the world, it doesn't really matter because the product's a product and they, they're them, so they'll mm. be able to build relationships and sell because mm. generally speaking there's someone that wants that product from you you know yeah, yeah. got to treat them right but then you go to like a really big and most most main dealers will have some sort of sales training sales processes that they send you on and my time at bristol street you went to you went away for like the first thing you could do before you were allowed to sell or get access to systems and stuff you had to go away for like four days on a training course day in okay. day, day out and learn the, the Bristol Street way. And it was very much, they had it in their head that it could be this perfect, like, sequence of events, like, this parrot-style selling. Yeah. And I still, going back to my memory, I still remember so many of, like, their scripts that you were supposed to say when a customer said a certain thing. So, mm-hmm. customer walks on the pitch, I'm just like, oh, it's important to have a good look around. So, let me explain the layout of the pitch. Blah, blah. I like, yeah. and as, if you bring someone in who's, got no experience whatsoever, mm. and you teach them all of that, it, yes, it's definitely going to benefit them. It's, it's going to help them to have a bit of structure. can mould them. But if you're also a really good salesperson, adding that sort of roboticness to you mm-hmm. could hinder you. And that's not to say you know better than someone else, because I bet you they paid some gurus millions of pounds to come up with these, you know, these Process these processes. And I'm not, putting them down as a company at all. I enjoyed my time there. But ultimately, like you're saying, there's, there's, you can train someone to sell, but whether or not that person will ever be as good as someone who's just naturally gifted at selling. You quite often find with the really good salespeople, they won't necessarily be good, really good at admin. Um, <laughs> so you quite often know, particularly when you're going to management and you've got sales execs like that, that, right, I might need to mop up a lot of stuff after you, but mm. I know that Nine times out of ten, when you speak to a customer, you want to sell them a car so I can deal with the <laughs> And yeah, no, I have that as well. I'd like to think I'm, I'm semi-decent at both, but the sales exec priority is always like, sell the car, commission, move on to the next one. And all that stuff that comes behind the scenes, like, oh God, that's like, that's like pain for me, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So then, so did you go straight from uh, to Bristol Street then? No. So I had a random job after that. So my time... Merck was cut slightly short because I got caught speeding and mm-hmm. I was only, I wasn't even 19 yet. I'd had my license less than two years. The whole speeding scenario was really annoying. I'd got into work, I had a client that was due to pick up. I was due to get picked up from Newcastle Airport and I got into work and I saw the driver who had asked to do it and I was like, shouldn't you be in Newcastle? Mm. I was like, oh, I forgot. So then I just jumped in the next car, fine, and I just talked it through Newcastle mm. and... I got caught doing, it was like 119 mile an hour. So yeah, I lost my license for that. I'd left my job because internally they had this ban. Like even while I was pending prosecution, they were, they had this internal ban 
Um, so I couldn't drive. I could only drive cars in the showroom on the forecourt. I couldn't take customers out on test drive, even though at that point I still had a license. Mm. Then they turned around and sort of said, and cause you're going to get banned, even when you get your license back, you won't be able to get your demo for X amount of time. And yeah. that was basically one of the big perks about working somewhere like that, even though I only had like an A class or maybe a C class at best. So, um, nothing, though. so yeah, so unless we agreed leave rather than get sacked or anything like that. Yes. And then when I went to court, cause I had to go out to Hexham court, like not plead my case, but explain what I've just explained to you pretty much. Mm. I only ended up getting banned for like 45 days. And then by the time I'd gone, I'd actually had my license longer than two years by that point. So I didn't have to like reapply for a license or anything. I just basically couldn't drive for 45 days and then got it back and then mm. back to square one. That's you know, insurance through the roof. Yeah. My next few cars were, were awful to insure. Mm. In fact, yeah, because I was always into kind of hot hatches back then. So, and I remember having, buying a car, I can't remember which one it was now. I think it was a 206 GTI and it was more to insure than it was by the car. That's and yeah, I paid like maybe five or six grand for the car and then more than that seems to. Oh, so then, so where did you go after Merck then? When you said you had your random yeah, job? Um, I ended up working for like a, like a vending machine company, mm. not in sales or anything, just delivery driving. And you know, some, I actually love that job. Mm, no pressure, no hassle. Yeah. So like that you have deadlines to meet. Yeah. I, I think that came in after maybe like an older person had been doing it. So it was kind of like they seen this all only just, the only ever just gets managers get back just before finish. And I'm thinking, but then I was young and fit and I'm like piling things on a trolley and I'm running out of buildings and stuff. But yeah, it was kind of like, wasn't so much that it was job and knock, but you knew then last like I can pull in somewhere and I was like, my, my, my roots were all around like Cumbria and Southwest Scotland and things. So there was, See me clear by it, and you knew you plan your route, and you think, oh, I can get through that one day quick. I can have half an hour there for my lunch and by the sea or whatever it might be. And then you go back and you just load your van for the following day. And if you had loads of time, you'd give it a wash down or whatever it might be. And then just go again the following day. Yes. And they basically eventually just down the line, the job didn't exist. So, so yeah, so I left there and I can't, I can't think where I went to directly from there. Mm. I think it'll probably be Bannertines. I think, uh, yeah. I think it'll have been by that age. It'll have been. In this sense. Bannertines, well, no, not really. I mean, mm. don't get me wrong. I, I was never really, really into the gym. I was in half semi decent nick back then, but I was really just slim in mm. theory. You know, I wasn't particularly strong or fit, but played football still and looked after myself relatively. But I was another sales job. So selling like the gym memberships, did that for a year. And then got promoted to sales and marketing manager. It's actually that job that I referred to in that post you were on about the other day about the sales director announcement. That's the only job that I've had for like a really long period of time. Like similar to this one, I think I was there for about five and a half year in yeah. total. What did you enjoy about that job then? It was, I suppose it was one of the first times I'd had like uncapped earnings and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't on mega books or anything like that. I'm sorry with Duncan Bannertime at the end of the day. They've done so much. You're never going to get paid, but. But yeah, it was one of the first times where I'd had uncapped earnings. So if you did sell a lot in a month, your wage would fluctuate and you got paid heavily on commission. But with still a decent basic, the perks of obviously having your gym membership and stuff, and that's only like 40, 50 quid a month, but that was for you and your family, like well, your partner. Mm. Or was it? No, I think my, I think at the time my partner paid for a gym membership separate actually, but. Yeah, it was just quite a nice, nice enough environment to work in, nice clientele, generally speaking. You know, it was 
it was a right end of town for me. I always lived in Stanick. So yeah, it was, it was an easy job to kind of continue with it. Also, after the year of being a sales advisor, where I went into the sales and marketing manager's role, I then got to run the rotors. Okay. Um, for my sales team. And I had a good little sales team. Two lads I've become, well, one lad I was already good friends with and another lad we've become friends with. And he was doing his, he needed part time around his degree that he was doing. So he only had set hours to kind of like put him in and then me and the other lad would work around each other. Basically the office had to be covered sort of from, I want to say it was like from, yeah, I, I the sales office kind of had to be covered from like nine till nine almost. So for someone like an early, a mid and a late, and then yeah. the points where there was two or three in the office. So it meant you could sort of start being like, oh, well, if I give myself an early shift on a Friday and then off that weekend, I've kind of got a long weekend kind of. Yeah. And it was, it, it, I didn't, did a lot of shifts where I had to open up or close up and it becomes kind of antisocial the hours you're doing, but the opening up was like you kind of in for quarter to six and home by two, you know, you get, it's a day. A half um, day, yeah. I suppose my only, my biggest frustration ever there was got more and more into the gym it was kind of like an extension of your working day. Okay. Still in there. Still in the building. And because these were your paying members, it was kind of like someone wanted to use a bit of kit and you were on it. It was very much the right thing to go. Oh, you know, you, you jump on and out. On it. Yeah. So like sometimes like what should have been an hour and like it takes two hours and yeah. they're sitting in the jacuzzi. It's very much like, oh, it's a bit cold in here tonight, Scott. And you know, it's very, and you can see, come on, like, I'm just trying to relax now. Yeah, like, I'm off. But clock. you understood that that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, a lot must have changed in, in your time there then. What, you must have developed quite a bit as a person if you, if you enjoyed that role as well. I think it was probably my first time, but it was definitely my first time where I've gone into more of a management role. It was the first time that someone's seen something in you to give you that kind of next step in your career, that progression. And yeah, and stuck it out and we, we did really well. So this was around the time that Bannertines had just gone from living well to Bannertines. So he bought out all the Hilton living well clubs. Mm. And it was very much like a, like there was loads of turmoil within the club. You know, it was like members leaving. Oh, we're not going to get the nice shampoo anymore. And you know, we're not going to have our towels for free anymore. Is that what we were kicking off about? It was like, there was sort of like your existing living well members were allowed to keep their terms. And then anyone knew that came in. So a living well member left because, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to Bannertines. I'm leaving. But then came back, they would call us one time once. It was, so it was kind of like, I was, we just had to steady that ship. And it had been like, I think, I think in the living well days, it maybe sat always kind of around the 3000 member mark. Mm. And then I think it had dropped to maybe, and I don't, don't quote me on these numbers, but maybe around the 2000 mark. So it took like this big dip. And then it was kind of like our aim was we had to focus on getting new members, but we also had to focus on retaining members. Yes. So. It was the first time where I started learning like business speak of like KPIs and net gains and you know, like, it's kind of understanding that side of a business as well. And it was we and my team, we were responsible for delivering the first net gains in that company. So i.e. the number had grew month to month. Oh, okay. Since the takeover. Yeah. And prior to that, it was kind of like every month you might sell 50 memberships, 400 were leaving, like so yeah. were dropping by 50 that month, for example, but we were steadily growing. And I think that year we finished, and it sounds minuscule, but we finished on a net gain of around 122, which mm. already averaged to 12-ish a month. But when you think previously, they were hemorrhaging sort of 600 to 1,000 a year, yeah. have that, it was like a 1,200-person swing. So it was 
yeah, and that, and that kind of was why they said, right, so I stuck it out and we kind of carried on that way. Then DW opened, well, what was DW, now Everlast, and they were, everyone was crapping themselves. You know, they thought, like, the brand new Jew in town is the only one that's kind of premium. Got a swimming pool. Swimming pool, mm. it's going to be a direct competitor. Decided to do loads of digging, and I ended up writing this, like, big USP analysis, so, like, unique selling points. Mm. And then we, like, were, like, do they do towels? We do, they don't, like, and then just, like, going through and what sort of kit they had and what the membership prices were. And in the end, had to sit down in a meeting with Duncan Manatine and Nigel Armstrong, who was the other, one of the other owners or directors at the time, and ended up getting a check signed off for over 600 grand for us for, like, reinvesting new kit and really? stuff and put changes into place. So, yeah, so that was, it, even, even having these meetings with these sort of people and you start to feel like a little bit more important, a bit more grown up, and then getting that pressure put on you that like it's this isn't going to be a regional manager who's going to perform this, produce this document. You're doing it, and it's kind of like, god a bit daunting, but you soon learn that you're capable. And yeah, cool. I did mature quite a lot during that period of my life. Yeah, definitely must be like cool knowing that they like trust you, like believe me to do that. As yeah, well. yeah, no, hundred percent. And that's and I, and I think that since then I've had spells of it here and there, but but this is probably fast forward in sort of 10, another 10 year down the line where it's like, it's happened again. It's 10 a.m. full circle. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, cool. So then obviously you left Ballantines, didn't you? And then did you have a couple of jobs before you came Yeah, here? so there was that. Yeah. Well, how long, how long have we got? <laughs> as long as you want. No, so, so Ballantines, another gym opened. So you've got DW and that's now established. It's been going three year, four year, however long it's been going. Then Lifestyle opened and they were looking for a general manager and I'd heard about this job and Put my name in the hat for it, and what does that mean? You applied for it, or yeah, yeah. So essentially, yes, I knew they needed a general manager. Yeah. I was sales and market manager, at, like a premium health club in the town. Mm. I thought, right, yeah, this is the Fancy next step. If I'm going to stay in the leisure industry, you know, yeah. this is the next step. And you know, I'm not saying I would. It's very, very unlikely I would still be at Bannatines. They scope for it, but it was very unlikely. But you. I think you mentioned who was when I was asking you what we were going to sort of chat about was like mistakes in your career and stuff. That leaving there or flirting with that job and eventually leaving or taking that job was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made in like in my career. Mm. Solely because when you go from this like premium club where you've kind of, you've got almost as many managers as you've got staff, you know, everyone's got a department and everyone runs like that. Yeah. For going somewhere like a budget concept, and this is nothing against the club, the facilities, the owners or anything like that. It's very much you become like a dog's body. Like <laughs> you need to know everything. And if the toilet gets blocked, you're going to go and do it. You're going to manage it. If yeah. the water needs done, you're doing it. If the property and loss of health needs done, you're doing it. If mm. PT doesn't turn up, you're going to have to find a new one. Like it, it was, and you just spread yourself so thin. That yeah, very lean operation. Wasn't was a, it was more of a sideways step than I could have imagined, considering I was changing my job title from like sales and market manager to general manager. I'm thinking, okay, like wage increase, more responsibility. But like, yeah, he, he probably needed another three or four managers underneath me. Like, yeah, like, that you know would structure and say, right, this is what we need done. And that's interesting. It was hard. It? it was hard. And and to be fair, I don't even know how long. Stay. I think maybe about a year. I was there maybe about a year. So again, it was good to see this brand new state of the art, new concept for the time, this budget concept. Uh, being there when it was all brand new and shiny and all brand new kit and fingerprint technology to get in and out. And you know, it was, it, it was cool. And to be part of it, like, I don't, I don't regret being part of it. 
but eventually I did sort of hold my hand up and go, listen, do you know something as this isn't, this isn't either what I set out or maybe I'm not the right fit and yeah. we just, yeah, so. That's left. interesting, yeah. Um, so it's like expectations, isn't it? Like your expectations of that general manager role and didn't really meet your expectations, then you are a bit disappointed maybe and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, that's a big part of it. It was kind of like, I'll be the first person to admit like you, especially we, we talked about this early on about how young people don't necessarily know what they do. I'm still, I was still young. I'm still youngish now, but mm. I was definitely still younger then. And you don't really know what you want to do. But one thing I did know was when I didn't want to do something. Yeah. Like, and if something just doesn't feel right, I think life's quite short to be plodding away at something that you, your heart's not in, or that's not for you, or maybe it wasn't quite what you signed up for. Mm. Um, and with that in mind, that, that's been the same for me in, in jobs as it has been in other walks of my life. I just go, right, not I yeah. walk away from this. I think it's important though, isn't it? Like, especially when you're younger to just try things. And then if it's you don't happy. like it, you think, oh, I don't like that. I'll try something else. At least you know you yeah. don't like something and then you learn from it, don't you? No, 100%. There was a point where on my CV, I'd look at it and go like, oh, if I was an employer, like, I wouldn't take this person on. Like, he was there, 12, up there, 14. Mm. Like, what, what does this guy do? He basically just seems to get your feet after a year. Mm. And, I could always explain my changes. Pretty much every single one was progression financially. Mm. Responsibility. I was always moving up. And if I was maybe doing that a bit faster or maybe not doing what I've done now and staying with somewhere long enough to do that within that company. Yes. But yeah, I try my hand at a few things and eventually find the things that sit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So then you left there then and what was, what was that? Pretty sure after that was Bristol Street. So going back into the motor trade. Uh, what, um, pe- what appeals that job then, the motor trade again, rather than going into so leisure? kind of like going full circle. I'd had, what, six and a half, probably pushing seven year in the leisure industry. Again, my passion wasn't really fitness as such. It was still, I still saw that as probably the parts of the job I enjoyed the most were like taking members on tours and getting them to sign up, not the other bit that came with it. And yeah. so yeah, it was just going back full circle and really having my first job in a car garage that was on a, on a proper car garage wage, you know, like compared to what it was, I'm getting two days off every week. <laughs> yeah. Living the life in luxury. Yeah, getting your car and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, that was, that was pretty much that. I can for Vauxhall sales exec. And then what, what essentially happened then, I can't remember how long, maybe a couple of years, the, we'd gone through business manager after business manager after business manager. I, I think I'd, worked under maybe like three or four business managers at the time. Hmm. And I was always kind of, I started doing good numbers. Uh, I started you know, having that bit more responsibility without the responsibility. So like you were yeah. seen as the next in line, like the sale, the senior of the sales execs and things. You know, I was go to you, question. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a few good sales execs. Some, some had left and moved on to pastures new and still there now. And then, yeah, I kind of thought, I was next in line when we'd gone through these people and they hadn't decided to stick with it for, for various reasons. I thought I'm going to get that job next. And I was pretty much told I was. And then when I didn't, I just thought, do you know something? If I'm just going to be selling, I'm going to go and sell for a different brand. Mm. And that's when I went to Audi. Yep. And my time at Audi was so short lived because essentially from the minute I left, all I had was senior people at Vauxhall ringing me up going, come back, come back, come back, come back. Really? We, we wish we'd made you BM. Yeah. So eventually, and I, and I thought, other than that, I wouldn't have left Audi, you know, it was like yeah. amazing brand, nice, nice staff, showroom, everything like that. Um, 
lovely demos. But yeah, I went back to Vauxhall, had to go back on more training courses, you know, like the one I told you about at the beginning where the I was away for four days. Yeah. Because I'd left and it'd been like longer than, I think it was like X amount of weeks, and we were seen as like this new member of staff. So I had to go on like my sales exec training again. <laughs> but then straight off the back of that, I had to do like my business manager training. Mm. So I was kind of put in back in, I was still doing bits of selling, but, but in like working, doing the business manager's role at the same time. Mm-hmm. Shane. And if you don't know, like business manager, you're, you're, you're stacking and closing deals. So yeah, what's up? this is kind of like where you, you're building them on the finance. Like, so you're, you create the figures for a car. So yeah. Someone's called you. I'm looking for an Astro, but I, and so we've seen a pound a month and I've got two grand to put in. You are sitting there, right? Well, we, I can make it work. This is how we need to do this. And then ultimately you're the one with the, the tools to negotiate almost like the sales exec would always say, Oh, let me go and speak to my manager. Mm. When he says that, that's who he's going to speak to in uh, the car okay. garage. And it's amazing because if you just said to the sales exec before he went, by the way, you've got 20 quid a month to play with here. So if you mm. need it, just close them there and then is then the, them conversations probably wouldn't have to happen half the time. Save time. But what it is, is the business manager's egos like, Oh, I closed that deal. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, but I would have if I'd just gone, Oh, no, have it all. With <laughs> you can have it. And that was what I kind of, I knew that I knew the new car game in there. Well, I'd sold a lot of them and yeah, and it, and it, it kind of, it was like that whole management thing. You've, yeah, there wasn't an element of the ego where like you're, you've got managing your job title again. And, yeah. and that was that. And then Vauxhall ended up on Volkswagen down the line. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I've jumped ahead there because I couldn't think of what, what happened at Vauxhall. So what, what happens as business manager and this, I really should have known this better, but. As a business manager in a dealership, you're no longer getting paid to sell the cars. You're getting paid for your sales execs to sell the cars. So you're only as strong as your weakest link sort of thing. You know, if it's your team kind of thing. If you've got, I mean, Bristol Street, you generally operated with about nine sales execs. So it was almost impossible to two tables would be closed at the same time. And then next thing is like, you've gone to the, where, where, where's your customer? Oh, they walk. Like, mm-hmm. and like, don't let them walk. They need to see me before they go. And, but you only got paid if, the collective hit target. So that wasn't necessarily each individual hitting their 20 cars that month was that there was a target behind the scenes that if everyone did that, you're almost guaranteed to get. But as if everyone sort of like 200 in a month, if everyone, yeah, if everyone just missed by, if everyone was at 80% of the time, you probably hit. And there was other targets in the background for like products, finance, pen, all that sort of stuff. And basically what ends up happening or what ended up happening to me was I was earning less as a business manager than I'd earn as a sales exactly commission or so. And the selfishness in me kicked in and goes, I'd rather be back in control of my own destiny. Mm, rather so, than right within nine people. So yeah, so I went to, and that was a point where I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to a different brand again. So we're back to the Volkswagen Audi group, but this time with Volkswagen. And that was the, probably the shortest time I've stayed anywhere. Volkswagen as a brand, fantastic. I just, the company and the, the, the management at the time that I was working under didn't see eye to eye. We didn't understand a lot of the ways. And this is probably where you go like, oh, what are people born in sales or they think it coming in and not being like having your own mindset of how things should be done in that sense was probably a hindrance because I'm like, why do you do this like this? Yeah, this question, is stupid. Yeah. But again, that's a massive penalty and like, well, that's how we do it. Yeah, and I'm yes. like, 
like, you know, speaking to some, the piggy you're after. Yeah, just started, yeah. But they had the processes and for me, they were, they were ridiculous. They were stupid. And then, yeah. And then I started, uh, met Michael, had a chat with Michael and then walked over there and told me. How, how did that conversation come about there? So one of my friends at the time was working for Michael. I'd been speaking to him just as friends do. I kind of mentioned how much I was hating where I was. And he says, you come here for a chat, you know. And because how, how we operated back then and, and probably how we operate with most people coming in to give it a go now, it's like you're self-employed. So other than maybe in buying you a few business cards and a, a polo shirt or whatever, yes. I mean, and in my polo shirt, about him, but there was no real outlay. So like for him, it was kind of like, if you want to give it a go, give it a go. Yes. And quickly, and that, we, we both quickly realized that, yeah, I could do it. Contract hires are completely different finance product to anything I'd sold. So I was always like consumer based or no business based, but contract hire was business and personal, but it was like PCPs and HP and cash that I used to do in the dealerships. Yes. So once I kind of, and it, you still learn, but like get your head around how contract hire worked, but then there were still people, we could still do PCP and we could still do, so I was kind of like do everything I used to do and some more, some more. And I was no longer affiliated to one brand. So I was working for a new car supplier as a broker, but with access to everything. So if you go back to using, say, like the Audi example, if you had a customer at your desk, Audi's many a, maybe a bad example because Audi customers are very loyal, but generally speaking, if you've got a customer at your desk and they're looking at an A4, they will have at least looked at the three C. The C-class. The C-class. Yeah, yeah. the the, the giant C. They've they've looked at its competitors and ultimately they're going to probably drive them all and then it'll boil down which one they like the most, but also the price. Mm. So here, once I learned that, well, you want a new car, you're considering these five, there's quotes from all five of them. (laughs) Just let me know which one you want. And really at that point you realise, well, actually now I just need to be really, really good because... The only objection this person can give me to not buy the car off me is I'm, I'm not buying the car any, I'm not buying a car because yeah. they can buy all of them off you. It's not all, but you don't do Merc, you don't do Jag, you mm. don't. So, so yeah, that was, that was that. And the kind of, um, plotted along and yeah, now see you down the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause what, cause was it just to say like that you could sell every car or, or what else did you enjoy? Was it just that you could have your own style? There was no like, systems or processes that you had to do, no four-day training sessions or, or yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, what did you enjoy about was, the, diff- the change in pace? So we were still in this building, not this room, but we were we were just over the, the corridor there. So kind of I was like learning on the job. Mm. A friend who brought, told me to come for the chat, he was sat opposite us, so he was teaching me things that I didn't know or telling me or who I need to contact for this and whatnot. So kind of the training was as you went, you know, on the, like job, yeah. on the job, but it was also a conversation three meters away with someone. Yeah. So there wasn't, there wasn't the rigmarole of having to download documents and read this, and do this. And mm-hmm. you could just learn there and then for me, it was the first time ever in my life. I'd had a Monday to Friday job with bank holidays off and the on. And it's amazing. Like how much when you've been in retail or in car garages where you just expect to work long hours. Mm pretty much most weekends because that whole retail ethos is that's when we're going to be busiest. You definitely need to be in. You can have a Tuesday off, no bother. (laughs) You need to be here on a Saturday. And it's so much so that you start actually buying into it yourself and Mm. you think, if I'm not there, I'm not going to lose out on money. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to miss out on sales. So that was mad. 
coming into like a really small team that's family, like family business uh, to an extent, you know, like a, an individual running a business yeah. who understands life, got kids of their own. That, that was a massive, that's been a massive factor the whole time. Like, you know, that whole, like sometimes when things come up and you, you feel like if you were employed, you can't phone in sick. Like this isn't a good enough reason to be off, but it's like, I was like, oh, Sophia's not very well and blah, blah, I, I can't get, oh, I'll fire the laptop up at home. Like, yeah, like go and, yeah, so, go there. Yeah. Telling me for, you know, <laughs> like, and it's, and it's it not in a way that you can then take the mick, but knowing that, that it's not going to lead to an awkward conversation because he would do the same and expect me to look after his phone calls and, you know, like, yeah. it's, but that's, yeah, I remember taking the job and I, I was going on holiday. So because I was leaving Volkswagen, I booked a holiday in March, April time when you'd never be able to take a holiday in the motor trade because the new plate comes out. Yeah. So I'd booked a holiday. So I was kind of like, Tim, right, well, the minute I come back, I'll start. But then while I was over there, I had my, like, my mobile phone. I'd already started speaking to people about what I was doing. And, and it also made me realize, like, I do the job anywhere. Yeah. Which again, like, yeah, if you want to do a work day from home or come COVID, like, mm. still wonder some business in struggle. But for us, it was like, well, don't need an office and just need internet. Yeah. We don't always speak to customers. We try and at least have one or two conversations, but so much of what we do is like emails, text, WhatsApp, like it's, and that, yeah, it's, it's just a different sort of way, less, less of a corporate structure to it, yeah. which, yeah, it definitely appeals, but. All the time, even we've developed and thought, like, well, actually, we do need, like, these structures in place and, you know, making sure we're doing the job properly and mm. to hold each other accountable and whatnot. Yeah. So how's how's your role or how's the business kind of, like, developed over time? Because obviously you've been here quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, so... Things have changed, like, team members have came and gone yeah, and obviously COVID as well. People and... came and went. We've, yeah, we, we, we've, we've given a few people a goal that, that either weren't necessarily from the background and I think both of us would admit now that if we were ever going to give someone else a goal, they'd have to have come from at least a car sales or finance type background because you talk about the natural ability. You don't actually realize how much you are than someone who's never done it before. And that's not even me blowing my own trumpet. Like there's far more to take in than realize and you take it for granted because you already know it. Yeah. When you try to teach someone something or even words to say and like trial clauses or point, like things to add to the end of sentences to, to completely change the mm. code or like it, it, and some people just haven't got it and no, mm. no amount of teaching them would probably give them it. Then yeah, COVID obviously was massive in regards to the long term impacts. It didn't really affect us in regards to how we ran as a business because like I just said then, so much of what we do was internet based, didn't need an office, just needed a laptop. Um, and a mobile phone. Yes. But what it did do was it caused knock-on effects with factory closures, which we are still, and this isn't even an exaggeration, we're still feeling the effects of now. Yeah, I was going to ask about um, that. Yeah. The long lead times of new cars and stuff. Well, what, what, it, this isn't, this isn't written anywhere. It's just my opinion on it. What, what sort of happened is factories closed, but they were still taking orders. So then the factories are reopened and they did this whole phased back thing because People were still doing social distancing in factories. Not, you know, they couldn't have yeah, a full team back, yeah. back. So then they spend in ages fulfilling all these pre-orders. Mm. And they kind of probably learn, right, well, actually, we're not spending as much 
on staff and what, and we've put our prices of the cars up. So we're actually making more money now than we've ever made. Customers are still waiting for the cars. Yeah. And they know there's a long lead time. And they know there's a long lead time, and we're still just going to kind of keep that yeah, trickling. In the meantime, we're not making any less money. Now, why would you as a business ever change that model back to yeah. back to volume? Because it's amazing how many people see like your, your, your Volkswagens and your Kias and this, that, and the other is... They're like the, the volume brands out of cars that most people can afford. So there'll be more mm. on the road, but it's amazing. Like every car company wants to hit, like wants to sell volume, volume, volume. There's only really, you, you really prestige like yeah, the supercars, the supercars yeah. and that, that aren't gonna ever be mm. in that vein. And yeah, I just think that they thought, Oh, well, we're going away with this. Like, why would we ever, why would we ever go back to what we were? Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? The there only benefit it. of it would be servicing. That's the only way that they yeah. think. If we have more cars on the road, there's more cars potentially going to come back here for a service. Yeah. But if they've already made up for that. Yeah. And increasing the prices. Yeah. yeah. Then, then why would they? And that's, yeah, that's just my outlook on it. Mm. Probably could be completely wrong. Higher than yeah. else. But we have COVID, so factory closures. Then we had like semiconductor chip issues where like something's from factory burnt down in like, and there was, yeah, I, I can't remember the exact stat now, but it was like one factory was, Responsible for something like sixty percent of the global production of this microchip. Oh, I think and I heard microchips that, yeah. are in everything that's basically got a brain that's a computer. You know, like that's your laptop, your mobile phone, mm. your key fob for your battery in your car. Everything at all that's got any sort of intelligence to it has got that's electric. Will have one of these chips in or more. Cars might have tens and twelves and that. Mm. So eventually, got to the stage where all your cars were built but they couldn't fit these chips. So then the compounds were getting full of cars that were 99.9% built, but were no good to anyone. <laughs> then you get brands like Audi going, oh, well, we've decided that you can now order this car, but we can't have a pan roof anymore because that'll save us a chip. And we're also going to deliver your brand new car with one key, not two, because that'll save us a chip, just to get the cars out the door. Really? And it was, yeah, that was mad. Then all this stuff happened with you. Sorry to playing that down, but everything that happened with Ukraine and all your wiring names are built yeah. there. So <laughs> it's next thing you like so you know vans and commercial and cars be basically these wiring names aren't getting made anymore or aren't being able to make their way back over to the factories for obvious reasons. Mm. And it was just it's just been mad and it's just been this really crazy sort of knock on effect of everything that aren't linked but are linked and it's yeah, it's such a minor detail, isn't it, that can make Just such a big impact? wouldn't ever expect. And obviously, yeah, like I say, there's, for me, I'm not complaining about it because people lost loved ones and whatnot during it all. So mm. me complaining that my cars are taking a bit long would be a bit insensitive. But, but it has, yeah, it has been so weird. We're really, and then we look back and we go, right, the company sort of around six, don't know the exact date, but around six. I've been here for like four and a half of that. So, more than 50% of my time with the company has been at the back end of a pandemic and almost 50% of the whole time the company's been in existence. It's been in a pandemic and aftermath. Yeah. And you think, do you know something? We've done bloody well. Like, yeah. we're still here. They're alive. Yeah, we're still alive. Food on the table. Plenty of other businesses aren't. They've fell by the wayside. Mm. And yeah, you feel sorry for them. But then again, the, the selfishness in you goes, I'm just glad it's not us. And yeah, it got to be there. I think we're all still, yeah, taking a wage and, yeah, it's not like we're pleading poverty. Because <laughs> this is like the first year, isn't it, where 
hasn't been like COVID impacted. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's I think first, last year it was, was the first time. Yeah, so yeah, twenty twenty two. Well, yeah, because you think that twenty, it really, as much as it's called nineteen, it really didn't kick in until like March, like was not it? Through when yeah. it was. And then yeah, that's still at least been a couple of solid years, was it? Mm. Maybe maybe it's like, things were a lot more back to normal last year, but there was still. It's still knocking, you still yeah. see signs of that everywhere, like yeah. social distance. Like I remember I went to Dubai for my birthday last year and you start to wear masks everywhere yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And you just think, and when we went, when I went to like Marbella in like May, you yeah. start to wear masks yeah. and, and you think, I, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of things I'm not, I don't, I'm not a real big conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but there's so many unanswered questions. You would that's, right. that's, that's another podcast yeah. that. So then, let's talk about the promotion. How how did that come about then? Because obviously you've been here fucking ages and from your standing. <laughs> I from my standing, yeah. It's coming up to in line with my longest one now. That's what she said. How did that so, conversation yeah, come about or whatever? Or we, was it in the pipeline for a while? Yes and no. The first time it was ever brought up was a few years ago. I think it was at a Christmas party one year. Michael, On Michael had a few drinks. <laughs> and, and, that that, and then that's, yeah, he just put to bed. I think that must have been, yeah, it must have been like 2020. I think you maybe could start going out around Christmas time that year, so we got a Christmas party and maybe, was it, yeah. anyways, whenever that was. Let's not talk about COVID yeah, anymore. Don't, don't <laughs> anymore. I think it was just recent. We just sort of sat down, what what me and Michael have done, and, and we've we've always just had really kind of easy conversations about pay structure and responsibilities, things like that, and nine times out of ten, you go, all right, you tell me what you think. After them, what I think, and then he goes like, "Well, this is what I thought, and so these are similar. This is a bit different." Mm. And we we do that annually, unless something had came up to to trigger a conversation earlier on. And it was just that time where we were due to have that conversation again, because it all comes from the fact that I went employed in that sort of that April in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, before no, COVID. Do you know it was after July, July two thousand and. It was when we came back to work, so we were allowed to start coming back in the office. Yeah, it was about July 19 that we could start using the office and that again. Yeah. You know, but as long as she did social distance and all, mm. and all COVID together. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah, so it was kind of like, it was just that, it was the anniversary of that date. So we sit down, we start talking about things again. And and a lot's changed in regards to staff. And so basically, as it stands right now, people taking a direct wage out of the company through payroll is me and Michael. Mm. So you kind of look at that and you go, right, well, the amount of work we're going to do is the same. There's just now less of us. Mm. So I'm kind of like saying, well, my responsibilities, I'm going to have to pick up the slack elsewhere. And, you know, and Michael's also, he's a bit of an entrepreneur. So he's not just, his sole focus isn't just this. Mm, he's taking on a bit of so It's kind of like coming up with a way of making me feel not, not wanted, but hyper value. Yeah, a bit of value and, and also that like we're here for the long haul, like I, I yeah. And I need to be able to know that no, you worth. You need to know your worth as well. I need to know my worth, and he needs to kind of know that I'm incentivizing you enough that if I'm not here, you will be. Mm. You know, and, and and for example, when you were self-employed, if it was two o'clock in the afternoon and you didn't have much more on, you'd still have employed. Yeah. And that uh, now that I'm employed, I've never done that anyway. But it it just reaffirms it, and I say we changes that were going on. We're kind of looking at the, the way the company is going to operate, what the forecasts are going forward. And yeah, we just kind of restructured things slightly. So it might be a fancy job title, but ultimately my, my day-to-day life is still very, very similar. I just have to do bloody podcasts now. 
But yeah, no, it's like safe. Job titles changed. Day to day running of the business is still very, very similar. And we've just tweaked that my pay structure. Whatever. So then, then like, what are the, what are the plans for the new job title? Now you say you're doing the same, same but different kind of thing, but what, what are you wanting to, to do in the, in the near future or in the far future? I think sort of in, in, in the short term, without trying to sound like I'm sucking up too much, I want to make sure that it works for, for, for both of us and make sure he knows that when he doesn't need to be here, he doesn't need to be here because he's got, yes, I'm not alongside him because I don't own the company. I'm not shareholder or anything like that. Mm. I'm, I'm still beneath him, but I've got enough responsibility and enough, even, you know, when you get a phone call, it's like, oh, we want to speak to the sales. I don't know. Yeah, I can, I can have that conversation now and yeah. that off him, you know, and without him, the guy needed to take that call. Yes. And yeah, just, just, he knows that he can come and go and he, he's, he's got like someone alongside him for the long haul that can trust. And then, down the line, who knows? Obviously, if things keep going the way they're going, and then we we'll scope to have like an equity stake, like a shareholder in the business, that would be fantastic as well. Mm. And I think when that eventually happens as well, it'll like reinvigorate you again because it's like the next step. That's like yeah. I now want, or I'm financially invested. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and to the to the the productivity of the company, it, it's going to directly reflect your bank balance in two, three, four, five, wherever it might be. Mm. So I think that would be natural progression. Uh, and we've, and we've spoke about it. It's, it's not something that it's just going to come out of the blue. It's just not something we're doing right now. Yeah. Cool. Exciting. Exciting. So then let's talk about biggest mistakes, biggest regrets. What did you have down? Oh, you already spoken about um, it. Yeah. So, I mean, I touched on, I touched on the, the move from lifestyle to Bannatine, uh, to lifestyle. Uh, I do think that was like a, a too much of a sideways step. And in hindsight, if I could go back and I'm not really one for, regretting things as such, but if you could go back and change things, I, yeah, I probably would do that. The mistakes, obviously before I made like loads of mistakes, a lot of my mistakes are just totally on like, a personal level and mm. we won't go into too much detail about that. I guess as well, like you kind of rolled the dice maybe a little bit on that whole Vauxhall to Audi move. If I just had maybe took a step back and calmed myself down and thought, well, it was ride it out again, the next business manager will come and go, like, I'll get it next time. Yeah. But then at what point do you draw the line? Do you know, you kind of say, mm. I don't, I don't regret that. I wouldn't say that was, I, mean, I, would, I actually think it was the right move to do at the time because it forced the other hand. Mm. The only negative there was it just, I did this bloody thing. Yeah. I'm on CV, you can't yeah. do this. What's this? It's hindsight as well, isn't yeah, it? Life's it? easy. It, it, yeah. Do you know, if you could, if you knew the outcome of every scenario prior to it happening, Again, we've talked about him. We're still relatively young. I could probably, if I really wanted to right now, I could have a completely different career change again. Yeah. I could probably still do something for plenty of now, isn't it? Yeah. And, like life's too short to be unhappy or to dwell on stuff. But everything happens for a reason, you know? Yeah. If it's meant to be, it'll pan out. Mm-hmm. If it's not, you'll give me a mind up. A proper fuck. Um, and what do you think your, your biggest strength is and your biggest weakness? Um, I did I prep you for these ones? I think I did, didn't I? I, I didn't prep myself. <laughs> the, I would, I would say one of my biggest weaknesses is talking. Like sometimes, sometimes I get that, I'm, I'm that adamant that I know what's going to come out of someone's mouth that like I'll kind of try and answer the question before it's like put into them. Yeah, but all this, Talk over people mm. sometimes. I can be quite, le- less so in the workplace. I, well, less so in front of customers. Anyway, 
I can be, I can have quite a short fuse sometimes as well. Yeah. And I'll vouch for that at times. But yeah, I think, I think that's not taking a step back and just listening to what's going on. And you know, um, and I'm probably better, better for that in like my personal life than I am in like a salesy okay. life. That's um, interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm, as much as I can go like on a tangent sometimes, I'm quite, I'm quite a chilled out person really. And then I can just. Yeah, into it. Like swift yeah. At the flick of a switch. Strengths, I would, I would definitely say, um, I'm strong at empathy. I don't know, like, like, I can, can sort of read situations, which is actually, I'm, I'm almost saying that my weakness was my strength, but I think I'm good at getting on different people's levels quite easily. So like, if I'm, I could hold myself in a room full of affluent politicians yeah. as much as I could the rugby lads down the pub, like, you know, yeah. and I, and I think that whole in, in sales, yes, you've got to be yourself, but yes, you've got to have the ability to mirror people. Be relatable. And, and in it, without being unprofessional, if the customer's being quite colloquial with you on the phone, like yeah. it probably gives you a little bit of authority to be that back. Yeah. And just like if that customer's very much to the point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> You've got to know about it. Yeah, it's like you sometimes get your, your, your blokes on from, from Buckington and that, and it's mad of this and mad of yeah, that. Yeah, like you're saying as well. Yeah. yeah, and then like if, and they probably don't want like loads of airs and graces. Again, you still remain professional. Mm. You're not calling them like, a <laughs> bomb in the world, but, well, yeah, that's, it's, it's mirroring people. And, and that's, I think that's really important in sales without a, like in who you are. So you're not, you're not becoming something that you're not. Mm. And without pushing the boundary too far away, you've gone way too much onto their level because just because your customer's comfortable doesn't mean you should drop standards. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, that I definitely say that's, that's a strength. Yeah, no, that's cool. Right. So where can people find you? Follow you personally, um, business wise and everything. So personally, please don't follow me. I get scared looking over my shoulder and that all the time. I down dirty lanes, especially around Rickety Park. And I, no, Scott Reynolds. So on social media as Scott Reynolds on Facebook. Uh, on my LinkedIn profile, Scott Reynolds as well. Instagram, I think it's sort of like Scott Ray two nine or six. So that goes back to like, Trinity. We used to get given your logins for your thing, like your first five letters of your first name and your last three of your stuff. <laughs> so that like it just stuck with us ever since. So Scott Ray, like so Scott Ray two nine or six. I think that's the same on Instagram as it is on Twitter. Mm. Don't really do much on Twitter apart from request to see if Harry Kane's left. <laughs> and then yeah, social obviously the company is your new car. .co.uk is the website for the car leasing deals, business and personal. And then the Flexi Rental is the new baby. It's a few year old now, but pushing it wise, it's a new baby. And that's for all your short term to mid to long term commercial vehicles predominantly on a sort of like a, even non-stainer sort of basis. So you don't necessarily have to have a white and then white credit uh, to take mm. rules if you're a business owner or a new start business. Couriers, we have a lot of couriers use those as well. So yeah, not really taking off. Unless. Right, everyone, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, like the video, comment your favourite part, any questions for Scott, leave them in the comment section below. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, make sure to follow the podcast and leave a five-star review. We'll see you next time. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you, bye.